was to hide from you again and make it feel, make him freak out. But anyway, um, so I get to look at job resumes every once in a while whenever we're hiring for a position. And it's fun to look and see work history because then I reflect on my own and I've been around the work block. Um, my dad owned a construction company and so for the time that we could walk, we were sweeping and he would call it work uh, and it was terrible. Uh, but from we, there was no summer, there was no day off. Uh, if we were at home and we said we were bored, uh, dad would say, well, come along. I got plenty of stuff for you to do and we would sweep job sites. And construction workers, I don't even, some of you might work construction, we're, you guys are messy. Sawdust, uh, you name it, it's on the ground and we were sweeping it. And, and then once, once you learned how to sweep, then you were able to scoop because there was a special way to scoop and then put it in the can. And so I was very happy when I was graduated out of sweeper and scooper and was actually allowed to handle a hammer. Uh, and my dad trusted me that much. He shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> I broke many things, and I had my own first aid kit, and it personalized for me. Uh, everybody else's was fine. Mine had to get restocked all the time. Uh, but I, I did that for a while, and then I went to college, and there was no construction down there. I, I didn't, construction wasn't for me. Uh, I can do it. It takes me twice as long as everybody else. Uh, but then I went to college, and then I started serving tables at a Marie Callender's, which was great because of pie. Uh, I learned how to, how to make some of their strawberry pies, and it was awesome. Uh, my soccer coach didn't like it uh, because of pie. Uh, but I'd bring food back to the dorm, and we, I was the popular guy every once in a while. And then after that, I, I started working uh, at a golf store, which was incredible because of the perks. Uh, I got free golf lessons. And the, the owner was a PGA card-carrying guy, whatever he's called, but he would, he would play every once in a while in a local tournament, and then uh, he would give lessons, and he belonged to a couple clubs, and so he would take us golfing because he wanted his workers and employees to be good at what they're doing, and so we got to play golf for free. And that was a good perk. And then that wasn't paying the bills because you end up spending all your money on golf clubs. And so then I had to get another job to go along with to finance my second job. Uh, so the other one was a marketing thing, and I, we did sports marketing for NCAA uh, schools. We printed tickets and designed them and all fun stuff like that, and that was great until 2001 and the economy crashed. And then we had to, I worked at Home Depot, and I'm starting to go through all the stuff that I did as I'm looking at resumes going, why are they so long? Thinking, well, mine's longer because there was a lot of stuff that I ended up doing. I went to work for a church after the sports marketing place and then stopped working at the church for various reasons and then went back to school and then went back into the restaurant industry. And over and over, I start seeing that my work experience is just as long and I start thinking about work and you get exhausted when you start thinking about work for too much. Work's hard. And today we're going to be looking at what work should have been or was intended to be. And my hope is that this morning that God would increase our vision and our capacity to see our work as a blessing to ourselves and for the world and not just something that we fill our time with and not just something that we do because we have to. Work's intention was different. So here's how today's going to go. My voice, I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, so we're going to have a little introvert alert. Uh, it's it's uh, potluck Sunday, so we're all going to be talking at some point. 
And so I'll talk for a little bit. Uh, if you have your books, I'll talk about the creation and disruption. If you don't have a book, we might have some at the table. We can run and get some. It's also in your bulletin. I'll talk about creation, disruption. Then I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. He'll talk about hope or some of the ways we can find hope in work. And then for culmination of how now shall we live or what does work look like, you're all going to talk to each other. Oh, some people are getting scared. Uh, but we'll turn the chairs around. It's one of the advantages that we have. Uh, some of us have name tags. If you don't, we'll grab you some. But we'll talk to each other about our work. How do we find hope in our work? Uh, and how do we find uh, our work to be redeeming? And so Tim read this passage from Genesis about God creating and God working. God saw all that he was made, all that he had made, and it was very good. And by the seventh day, God finished his work. Creation, if you look in Genesis, is work. If you're an artist or if you're any kind of creative type person, we're all creative to some extent. But when you create something, it's work. God made everything out of nothing. He created, he worked, he made something wonderful, and then whatever it was that he created, he called it good. And he did that for six days, and then he rested. Creation was work. And here's something unique about the way our Bible talks about work and God. In other near, near, uh, ancient Near East religions, when they talk about the creation narrative, God, the gods or goddesses never worked. It was always something born out of conflict and then something blew up or something in that, that regard. And then the earth came to be. But in our religion... Our God works. He works with his hands. Other gods didn't. So this made our, our God, the God of Israel, stand out from the others. God worked. Work from the beginning was something that God did and it was good. It was his design for all life. Therefore, when he creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the garden, he gives them a job. He gives them work to do. Uh, Tim, can you grab me that bottle full of water? <coughs> Sorry, on Friday I had no voice. It was awesome. Today I have this. It's kind of no voice. But God gave Adam and Eve a job to do, and their job was to care for the garden. Their job was work. They had a purpose to live. They brought order to the world. Work was good. It wasn't meant for some kind of punishment that we think it is today that we have to pay our bills so we go to work. It was a good thing that they did. Work was intended to be good for us. But we look at Monday morning and we're like, ugh, Mondays. They always are terrible, right? They're the longest day of the week, even though they're the same as Thursday. But it's the longest day of the week. It's the day with the worst traffic. It's because we dread life when it comes to work, even if your job is easy and fun. Three weeks later, it's work and it's hard. We live for the weekends. And you might be saying, sure, it's easy to say that work was intended to be good for you. Work was intended to be something that all humans did and, and it was intended to be something that God wanted us to do from the start. But you don't have my job, Brad. You're right, I don't. Uh, I don't want your job. I've heard about some of your jobs. I, I'm not smart enough for half what half of you guys do. But work in its intention before disruption was meant for good. It was meant to give us a purpose. 
But like every job we have, there's always disruption in the middle of it. It starts out good. It starts out well. But then when sin comes, it fouled it up for everybody, and that was including work. What was given by God to be a practical part of everyday life and the job of gardening that God gave to Adam and Eve was, was meant to be a picture of every sort of work possible. Gardening. Their job was to tend for the garden. And when he said, uh, subdue, create, and take care of, they were gardeners. And it was a picture of any kind of work that was possible. When the disruption took over, that turned into thorns and thistles. If you're still in Genesis, turn with me to chapter 3. Verse 17, and to Adam, hold on one sec. And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to your wife and you've ate the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must, that you must not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat from the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and for dust you will return. It sounds like a lot of fun work right there, right? Thorns and thistles, and you're going to be doing this until the day that you die. Congratulations, Adam, you're hired. Have fun with your job. Gardening in this part of human labor was, wasn't meant to be difficult, but this part of culture building and any kind of human effort will always have, because of disruption, this lack of fulfillment, this point where we feel like our work is fruitless. And what is meant by fruitless is that in all of our work, we'll always be able to envision something more that we can never accomplish. You finish your goal, you finish your project, and all of a sudden you see that you could have done something better. You could have done it more. You could have done it faster. It's this, it's this lack of accomplishment because there's always resistance around us. And so what the fall or what the disruption gives to our work is that the, our work will always include some kind of pain or conflict or envy or fatigue, and that not all of our goals will be, ever be met. We feel this in our jobs, right? It's okay to say yes, I won't tell your supervisor or your boss. We feel this in our jobs. I feel it in mine. The Bible calls that kind of feeling that you have toil. The word toil is the same word that's used for Eve when Eve hears her curse. It says in verse 16, to the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And all the women in the room who have given birth said, amen. Uh, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. That word labor there can also be the word toil. And so the pain of labor is likened to the point where we get where we're not getting exactly what we would like from our work. Now the pain scale is different. But the point that it's trying to, to give us in Genesis 3 is because of sin, because of disruption, anything that we were given before that that would give us life and give us meaning will now feel like pain and toil. It will not be as fulfilling as we had hoped. 
And so we get our jobs and we think that life is going to be great. And then the first year goes by and then your job gets old and boring and you're not meeting your goals. It's not meeting your expectations. And it feels like you're just running in circles. All that happened in every place that was intended to bring us joy, what happens because of disruption is it doesn't meet and give us that joy. Instead, we have obstacles, obstacles of comparison. You work hard, but you don't get paid as much as the person across the hall from you, even though you do better than they do. You start comparing yourselves with others. We start comparing our salary, our statuses, our titles, our influence, our recognition, and our power. And we begin to live and work in order to impress our neighbors rather than to serve them. And then the pressure to perform takes the joy out of the workplace. Some of us will work 100-hour weeks and still not be able to afford life. And then the work becomes endless. And as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1, what advantage is there for work? And in the verse 8, everything are is wearisome. Work becomes our identity, and we start defining ourselves by our jobs, our roles, our salaries. And if we don't have a job, our tendency is to not give ourselves any kind of worth. Having the ability to work and not having work is very destroying and harming on a person. I've been, I was there for two years of unemployment. It's hard to do. Work becomes our defining peace because of disruption. But, all, but what this, all this points to is really our desire to have our work and our job give us some kind of meaning beyond ourselves. We go to work and we think that we're doing some kind of good because our identity is behind it. What we want from our jobs is to, to know that we're doing some kind of good that's beyond our lives, beyond what we can bring, that it points to something else. This is the disruption that we feel with work. And so I, I wanted to, to you to hear from somebody in our community about work and how to find hope in the midst of that disruption. So I'm gonna invite Brendan to come up. He's making a face even though we talked about this. He's gonna act surprised, but I emailed him on Thursday. Um, and then I emailed him on Friday, I would have called him, but it would have sounded like this, um, yeah. about this. So I'm going to ask Brendan some questions. Uh, introduce yourself, tell us what you do, what you've done uh, for work. And uh, I've had the pleasure of getting to know him for about a year. About um, some Winter Ballard campus started, yeah. Yeah, so. and we went to coffee, and smart guy. Uh, <laughs> He reads hmm. books that I can only dream of, uh, but uh, he's, he's been a joy to get to know, and some of the things that he's passionate about, I love, and to hear him talk. And so when it came to finding joy and hope in the midst of disruption of our work lives, I've heard him talk about this for uh, a long time. Um, but you realize I don't golf, right? What? You realize I don't golf, well, and I don't like golf. We all have our, we all have our downfalls. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm Brendan, and I've probably met or seen a lot of you and my lovely wife here, Kim. Uh, we've been at Bethany for about four years, I guess, and pretty much transferred to Ballard when the campus opened. Um, I got to know Brad uh, not long after the campus started. Uh, and I think for work, I work in tech. I'm actually back at Microsoft right now after 
drifting my way through a good half dozen startups, building engineering teams, working in a number of large uh, tech companies. It's been kind of an interesting field because um, I got started in it just as things were really kind of starting to change. We're coming out of the, the days of the large mainframes, which for most of you probably don't even know exist, uh, but they still are out there. Uh, and I caught kind of the PC wave, went from that into uh, now I'm doing cloud computing work with them. And I like to tell people everything I do today was nothing I learned when I first got out of school. And so it's been very interesting. It's been very, um, uh, very active kind of field to be in. There's always things changing. Uh, you're very high pressure in a sense. Uh, sometimes a lot of long hours and a lot of tight delivery dates. So it's been a very interesting place to be and to try to figure out what it means uh, to do work. In fact, it, one of the kind of mantras that shows up a lot in tech is that you know we're here to change the world, right? That we're gonna come out with yet another Instagram and somehow make everybody's lives better. I don't think it's gonna quite work that way, but it's been interesting as a believer to try to reconcile what a lot of the tech world thinks they're doing with what it means for us as believers uh, to be working. So, there's so there is another background. Instagram coming. Not that I know of, not that I'm writing. Okay, I was gonna download it. No, um, no, no, no. <laughs> so, um, Brendan, when you hear that all work matters to God, that he intended us to have some kind of work, mm -hmm. uh, how do you see this in your work? How do you see that playing out there? You know, it's funny, because um, one of the passages that's become a lot more important to me, I think, over the years, is uh, the one that we actually read from Genesis. Um, my wife is a gardener. And she can grow just about anything. Uh, give her a dead plant, and a couple of weeks later, it'll be green again. Um, and, and she takes a lot of joy in just making things grow, making things look nice. And you know, she's obviously drugged me into that. I, I dig the holes for things. Um, but what's, what's interesting about gardening is you start with something that doesn't look like much, and when you're done, it's, it's really something to look at. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, Kim and I were celebrating our 34th anniversary. Yeah. And you can all give her notes of congratulations to Sarah when you're done. She, she has to live with me. She re-signed the contract, right? You guys she did, yeah. I had to buy her a new ring, but that's a whole okay. story there. Um, I re-upped my lease. Any case, um, we were up on the Olympic Peninsula and we are staying in a bed and breakfast. And we had one of those rooms to die for where you stare out this, this glass, plate glass window. And there's gardens and grass and trees and the Straits of Juan de Fuca are out there. And you're looking across to Victoria and whatnot. And uh, we actually spent time in the room just by ourselves looking out because it was so nice. Later we learned from the folks that were running the B&B that a few years ago that had been nothing more than a morass of blackberry bushes and trees and you couldn't even see the water. And the reason I raise that is that's kind of how I think a lot of us feel about our work, is we step into it and it feels like nothing more than blackberries and trees and there's no view there to be had. And I, I think our role in work, as tough as it is, is to try to create that space, that view, such that when we're done, it actually does look nice. There is a great view. It is some place that reflects God. It is some place where people are flourishing. And so the whole notion of, of Genesis and, and, and gardening and trying to live that out and find out ways to live that out where I work uh, has been meaningful to me. Did I even answer the question? It was kind of like the debates, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I feel I have a lot of jokes, sir, but I can't tell them. Anyway, let's get to the yeah. next question. <laughs> Appropriate. Um, where do you, in, in tech, yeah. where would you see that you see God at work? It, like in your day job, is it possible to see God working around you or through you or in, in some of the ways that I, yeah. I hear about your relationships with some people at work? And, yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's a really good question because, you know, I made a joke earlier or a comment earlier about how tech, um, when I was at Apple, for example, one of the big things when I was at Apple was, you know, we're here to change the world, right? You know, buy another Mac and the world's going to be a better place. And I struggle with that because, I'm sorry, I use Macs, I like Macs, even though I'm at Microsoft, we won't go there right now. Um, I work in the cloud now. Uh, the, the new Macintosh is going to be fun for a day or two, a new iPhone's going to be fun for a week or two, uh, but it's not going to change your life. Yet on the other hand, uh, there is value to tech. There is value to tech. Um, there's a lot of work that we're doing with diseases that, that we wouldn't be able to accomplish if we hadn't created a lot of these things that we now have. Um, even churches like this, I mean, we're getting at churches and, 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 and taking care of the people that are in our fellowships. Uh, we can do better because we have certain technology, like today we'll be signing up for gatherings. So, and I think you can let your imagination run and you can see this. You know, on the flip side, and not to be too crass, but tech has also brought us really invasive porn. Um, so you look at these things, and everything that we do, there's going to be ways it can be used for good, and there are ways that it's, it's not used for good. And I think trying to figure out, you know, how can I do my job? How can I be engaged in tech, you know, in a way such that I'm trying to fuel the good the best I can, and at the same time, not contribute to the stuff that is, that is damaging. Um, one way in particular that's come up, but I think is what you were uh, alluding to, is... Um, I've both been, for those of you who are in tech, I've both been an IC, individual contributor, which is what I'm doing again, and also a manager where I've built uh, engineering teams, I've managed engineers, hired engineers, had to fire engineers. And um, one of the things that's become very, very important to me is uh, in high tech, a lot of folks are treated like prized racehorses in a sense that, you know, as long as you're running that race well, as long as you're coming across that finish line well, you know, they're going to give you the, the velvet stall, they're going to give you all the tricks, all the neat toys, and you're just going to be told you walk on water. Now, of course, the moment you stumble, you know, they start reaching back for the gun and thinking about where the nearest glue factory is. So, <laughs> They used to make glue out of horses. They used to make glue out of horses. It's an old joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. Age is showing. I need new jokes. There's a Seinfeld um, joke about, you see the horse running in circles? That's crazy glue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any case, so one of the areas that I, particularly when I was managing, was, you know, how can I try to influence, uh, you know, the field that I'm in uh, to treat people, the people that reported to me, as an example, better, as people made in God's image. Now, there's a challenge here, right? Because it doesn't simply mean that I give them a, a soft, perfectly cushy place where they can do whatever. We've got a job to get done. So it doesn't mean that. But on the flip side, it also means I respect who they are. And a, a couple of really tough examples I had came up when I took a management job. And I was like their second day, I think is what it was I told you. And the manager to whom I reported said, there's this fellow, we'll call him Jim. And he said, you need to get rid of Jim. He's, he's bad. He did X, Y, Z, and we just have to fire him. And I'm going, okay, this is, this is great. It's my second day at the company, and I'm being told I have to fire somebody I've barely met. 
And I, I said, wait a minute, let's, let's pull back. I appreciate he may have done something that was bad. And he actually did. It wasn't good what he did. I said, but let me, you know, let me at least get to know, let me see what's going on here, see what we can do. Uh, make a long story short, the challenge, the reason largely why Jim had screwed up is because Jim was not in the right job. Okay. Now, fortunately, uh, myself and another guy I was able to work with, there was a place where Jim was able to contribute. And so we were able to work together, transform out of my team onto this other team where he was more suited, much more suited. And in fact, in that role, he went from being you know, a pariah, we've got to fire you, to somebody that actually was receiving accolades from the VP because he was making solid contributions in line with what he was doing. So I felt good about that. I felt like, okay, in this particular instance, I was able to honor somebody as you know, being created and made in God's image and try to get them into a spot that was better for them rather than taking kind of the standard tech role, you know, you screwed up, here's the gun, we're gonna lead you off of the glue factory. Um, so that was one thing, you know, and there's other things that have probably popped up over the years. But. What would you say um, or how would you encourage someone here, uh, maybe who is wrestling with meaninglessness or selfishnessness, mm. that's a word, um, <laughs> it's not, in their, in their work? You know, I think there's a couple, I think one of the things that, yeah, let me back up a little bit. Um, I think all of us, when we do our jobs, uh, there are times in our jobs where we feel, for most jobs, like it's utterly meaningless. And there's also times where we feel like there's value, right? Um, if you're, you know, food server, right? You might feel horrible when you're in there washing the dishes and it's steamy and it's hot and I don't like this. On the other hand, you know, there's a certain satisfaction you get out of helping people have, uh, you know, good times, out of being able to enjoy, you know, food when you go out to eat or parties or whatever. And I think what we all, we struggle with, with both of those. And one of the things that I was reading a, a blog post a, a while ago that it really struck me is um, we go back to the feeding of the 5,000. I think it was 5,000 or the 4,000. One of the two feedings. There's a couple of them. A couple of them. And uh, this is a case where the disciples had nothing. And there was a, a young boy in the crowd that said, well, I've got a couple of fish and some bread here. You can use this. And of course, the miracle is, you know, Jesus took that to the disciples and was able to feed everybody. But what's interesting to note, what we kind of skip over a little bit, is this young boy made a small contribution. It was a small contribution at the right time, in the right place. Probably didn't feel like it was all that meaningful. But in that case, in God's hands, that small contribution had a multiplicative effect such that many people were fed, many people's needs were met. And I think what I would encourage all of us to do is to kind of find some hope in that. Um, as you do your jobs, as you, as you go there every day, and as you feel like, geez, I'm just staring at blackberries again and again and again, you know, you pull out this chunk of blackberries. It doesn't seem like much, and there's a lot more still there. But that set is now gone. Reach forward pull out the next set. And I think a lot of that's what we're called to do. And I think as we contribute to that and we do that and we work for the flourishing of uh, the places where we work and the world around us and proper treatment of people, proper use of those things that we're building, so forth and so on, um, things will change and we will make a difference. You've talked to me about flourishing. This isn't the question that... Uh-oh. Yeah. So are, we going off, are we going off? We're going now? off script, which is how oh, I live. No. Um, 
but I love it when you talk about flourishing in your jobs. Okay. Um, give us some of that. Like, how, how, how should we, how do we flourish in the workplace? And, and talk more about plugging <laughs> ahead, uh, taking blackberries away, and, and, and go reaching for the next set. Uh, well, I know you've got something to say about this. <laughs> right, Kim? Uh, I've always got something to say, right? Uh, more jokes there, too, but anyways. Um, yeah. Um, no, I can't move on. Um, yeah, I guess the, the notion of, of flourishing is something that's become, uh, as a believer, more important to me. Uh, I go back to, like, the Lord's Prayer. And, you know, we kind of go through that pretty quickly. A lot of us know it by heart. We get very rote. And yet there's three clauses right at the beginning that are very fascinating to me. It's the, you know, hallowed be thy name, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we kind of just jump, 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 right? But really what's going on is there's kind of a bit of a progression there where the first thing that we do in our, in our, in our lives and in our jobs and all that is we, we want to make sure that God's name is, is properly honored, it's hallowed, it's respected, it's revered. And I think the, the first step towards flourishing is we do the right things. So all these comments I think I've suggested, I mean, about like this one particular employee, they, they wouldn't have mattered if I, on the other hand, wasn't also trying to make my department effective, get work done. You know, in that role, um, I was able to uh, get the team that had been kind of slow at delivering some things, and we cut a lot of their delivery times down appropriately, uh, removed some inefficiencies that didn't need to be there. So I, I take, I start with, how can I live in such a way that uh, God's good name is not being soiled? And you know, hopefully at the end of my days or each day, that maybe people will think just this much better of God than they did at the beginning of the day. And then what's interesting is when you start there, that sets the foundation for God to rule, thy kingdom come. And once God is ruling, then his will is done. Sometimes we want to go the other way around, I think. Sometimes we get very insistent on uh, trying to force people to live up to God's will first, thinking that as they do that, they'll somehow recognize him as king, and then from that somehow, we'll start to honor him. And it's interesting that the prayer has it exactly the other way around. And so for flourishment, um, I think we start there. We start by living as good, honest, true people reflecting uh, God into this world. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a, a kind of a, a comment summary that, that has been somewhat meaningful, and I'm going to get the quote wrong, so don't go looking up the exact words, is he's talked about us as being people or creatures that have a foot in both worlds. Uh, we're obviously creatures. We're physical. We get sick. Um, you know, we get tired. We eat. There's all the aspects of our humanity. We're very physical. But also, on the other hand, you look at us compared to the animal kingdom, uh, there's more here, right? Um, sometimes people say we have the spiritual capacity. Uh, we have a lot of things that we just don't see mirrored in the rest of the animal world. And, and Lewis felt we were a bridge uh, between the two. And you go back and you look at Genesis again, there's this idea that um, as God's image were to be reflecting God into the world, and then reflecting the value and good of the world back into God in praise. So when I think about flourishing, for me a lot of it comes down to how do I live into that and, and how do I fulfill that? Now it's hard, right? It's, 
it's one thing to talk about these things at kind of a highfalutin, you know, level, but how to actually work that out on a day-to-day -day basis is, is not always straightforward. But I also think it's what we're called to figure out. And I don't think there's one answer. I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all. Uh, I think all of us are going to have to kind of slot in where we're at and really prayerfully figure out how we live into that. So, Cool. Are we done with script? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm done with you if you want to go sit down. <laughs> Thank you, Brendan. He, he has plenty more to say about the subjects. Um, just talk to him at the potluck and... Yeah. It'll be a great conversation. I've had it many times. Um, thank you, Brendan. Appreciate it. Now, introvert alert. For all you introverts, you've had a long time to think about this. Uh, your chairs are able to be turned. And what I would like you to do first is turn them. Preferably find someone you don't know, which if you're new here, it's anybody. Um, but find someone maybe you didn't come with and get to know them real quick. So in the next one minute, I'm timing it. Uh, turn around and find a group of four to five people. Okay, last time we had a group of 12. Didn't work out too well. Four to five people. Ready? Go. First of all, I haven't given you a question, so thank you. Oh. Some, some of you are already talking. The first, maybe the first question is what your name is, and if you had a name tag, it'd be great. Uh, first question. It's the same question that I asked Brendan. In, if all work matters to God, how do you see God at work in your work? Ready? Discuss. About 30 seconds and I'm gonna ask another question. Next one. We ready? So maybe if someone didn't get to answer the last one, they're the first to answer this one. How do you balance in your work professional responsibility and showing your coworkers God's grace. Whoa, it's a tough one, but I'd love to hear some thoughts. Ready? I'm going to start my timer. Five minutes. Go. Questions. Two more questions for you. This question we'll spend three minutes on and then the next one we'll do a little bit longer. How do you balance your faith of being a Christ follower with difficult work environments or impossible tasks of which you know you're not going to do a good job? Make sense? How do you balance your faith? So if you're following Christ and your coworkers know it, how are you balancing that with your attitudes when it comes to a really hard task at work and you know that possibly you're not going to do a great job. And they look at you and your attitude's fouled up. It's like having the Jesus bumper sticker on your car and you cut somebody off. Um, how do you balance that perception at work when things go wrong and you're in charge? Ready? Maybe we should make this one five minutes. Okay. Five minutes, I'm getting five. Okay, ready? Discuss. Are we ready to move on to the last question? No? Two more minutes. One more minute. We'll compromise. One more minute.
Okay. Last question. It's this idea about redemptive imagination, and I learned about it this week. It's, it's the concept that you can see God in anything around you, that there is no barrier between secular and sacred. And so when we carry this idea of redemptive imagination into our workplaces, how can you see your job as bringing good and sacred into your industry. For instance, I read an article about a woman who does home loans for, uh, for people in this area. And, she t- and you know, the home lending industry has taken a lot of heat about you know, bad loans, ripping people off, and all the bad things that we hear about them. Yet she feels comfortable and called to be in that industry. And when she's asked how she does this, she says, she brings up redemptive imagination. And then Jeremiah, the book where it says, thrive in where you live, build your homes, have families, go to work. And in that way, you'll redeem the area that you're in. So when she thinks of selling homes to people in Seattle, especially people who follow Christ, she's allowing us who buy homes using her company to redeem our culture inside of it. It's redemptive imagination. So that applies to how we do with our spreadsheets or how you deal with your sales. So when it comes to redemptive imagination in your job, how do you see your job as bringing sacred out of secular or finding the sacred that's already there, finding God in that place? Make sense? Go. One story I was eavesdropping on talked about uh, relationships that we keep in our work. Um, We're going to wrap up if you want to. Uh, One way to look at this creative uh, imagination or redemptive imagination is by looking at the relationships you carry at work and how you display Christ in the middle of your sales call? Is there a noticeable difference when they deal with you? Um, and it's just a, it's a challenge that we take, take in. And how do you find Christ in the middle? How do you display Christ in the middle of your spreadsheets? Uh, or uh, my wife is a therapist. How does she find Christ when she's doing billing? Because that's the worst part of it. And so these little tiny things that we get to look at, and that's the challenge that we're faced is, is when we bring hope and culmination to our workplaces. How do we approach it with this redemptive imagination? Um, and I hope that you had some insight come from your, your peers. Tim's going to play us out with the song, and then I'll have instructions about food. Not how to eat it, but how we're going to eat it together. <laughs> pray with me, and as we pray, would you extend your hands out? Uh, Father, we thank you for work, and even though sometimes it's a drag to go to it, Uh, We thank you that you have gifted us and equipped us uh, to do things. Uh, And Lord, as we look at our work and and try to approach it redemptively, may you give us eyes to see ways which we can make our workplaces flourish. Uh, Where we can, like Brendan was talking, remove the blackberries in order to give people a view, uh, uh, maybe a view, God, in our relationships with how we deal with others. Uh, how we model failure and how we model your grace in the midst of it. Um, And how we give praise to you for our successes. Lord, may we find you in our workplaces. May we bring hope 
and joy back to the idea of going to work on Mondays. Lord, we thank you for this food we're about to eat. Uh, Would you be in the conversations that are to follow uh, in this place? It's in your name we pray. Amen.